Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. My name is Mike Perry. I'm one of your co-hosts. And I'm here, as always, with the Iron Cardio Doctor, the Director of Education, the FMS Hero, the man that can eat more steak than you, Brett Jones. How are you? How's that for an intro today, huh? All wow. of those are, all of those um, are true. I, all of those are, are mostly true. Uh, some of them are verified. Um, but thank you. I'm, uh, now that you've set the bar that high, I should be able to slide right underneath it. There you go. I, uh, and look, when it comes to Brett Jones being able to eat large amounts of food, um, (laughs) I have seen Brett put down some serious, uh, dead animals, and I'm not saying that he actually put the animals down because they were dead to begin with, but this man can eat some uh, some steak. I took him to Redbones Barbecue, which is one of my favorite barbecue joints in the world. Uh, one of my clients, Rob Gregory, owns it. From just awesome place in, uh, in in Davis Square in Somerville. But we took him to get the barbecue belt, which is and 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 look, if I get it wrong, I apologize. But I think usually we get beef ribs, we get brisket, we get baby back ribs. Usually there's some sausage and pulled chicken on there. And then I'm not sure if there's any other thing on there besides meat. But anyways, Brett had no problem taking that down. And uh, it definitely looks like one of those challenges where you kind of like, oh, how many T-shirts are on the wall? How many people did this? And Brett just went in there and (laughs) I think he did it on a full stomach. I'm not sure how he did, but we're not talking about that today. Although (laughs) if you have dined with, with Brett, you know the man can eat some food, but we're not going to talk about that today because, uh, well, that's not the topic of our podcast, but we are going to talk about training like an adult. And you're probably thinking, Mike, what the hell does that mean? Um, and uh, we're going to give you some ideas. Um, it's very similar to eating like an adult, right? Like you kind of know what you should be doing, but whether or not you're doing it, well, that's a different conversation. So um I've been doing this for 20 years. Brett's been doing it for longer than I have. So um, we've worked with our fair share of adults. And uh, look, while it's fantastic to work with professional athletes and elite athletes and all that cool stuff, 90% of the time, gen pop is how you're going to pay your bills. And uh, a big part of it is that. So we know from from the work that we've done with functional movement systems that the majority of adults, you know, approximately what what what's the research and data say, Brett? Um, I think it was what about two thirds uh, of when we were doing uh, our work with FMS and we were sort of polling individuals. About two thirds of those individuals had mobility restrictions in the hips, T spine, and ankle. Correct? Is that that usually? Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously it, it it'll bell curve a little differently with with looking at slightly different po- populations, but um, yeah, the 
mobility stuff pops to the top uh, in a vast majority of cases. Absolutely. So, and look, we know that um, the majority of our assessments out there are mobility biased. Um, the, mo uh, the majority of the trends that you see out there to change movement are generally sort of geared towards mobility. So we know that mobility is a hot topic. I mean, you can take courses on mobility, right? Um, and this is not a course on mobility. And we're not trying to sell you anything. But um, look, if you can do um, what you want to do, meaning if you don't feel limited by your body's own restrictions right now, and you don't feel like you're fighting yourself when you're doing physical things, you're probably in a good, pretty good position. I'm not going to say you, that's the, the truth for everybody, but look, if you're, if you're healthy and you're doing the things that you want to do and you're getting into those position shapes and postures that will allow you to do the things that you want, you're probably, you probably have the mobility box checked. Now, if you are attempting to do those things only to find yourself frustrated, injured, tired, sore, then hmm, maybe we need to dig a little bit deeper. So we're going to start off by talking about, you know, what we just sort of covered is the most common um, mobility restrictions that we see. And we're, we're going to start sort of from the bottom um, and, and work up um, ankle mobility. Yes, there's various types of ankle mobility, dorsiflexion, plantar flexion, eversion, inversion, all that other stuff. Um, but when we're looking at mobility in, in the world of fitness and strength and conditioning, generally what we're looking at is primarily ankle dorsiflexion. Yes, plantar flexion plays a role with that because it's at the opposite end of the spectrum, but ankle dorsiflexion is what is going to allow your knees to travel over your toes. And, uh, it's going to allow you to get into better squat position, a better single leg squat position, a better lunge position. Um, and, um, you know, if the good Lord didn't want us to have ankles, he wouldn't have given us any, we would just be walking around in ski boots. Right. Um, but ankle mobility is important because it gives you options. Um, and if you don't have mobile ankles, well, then it's going to be tough. So, um, Brett. Let me ask you this. Do you have ankles? I do. Okay. That's okay. First. All right. So we got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> honestly though, joking aside, um, when it comes to ankle mobility restrictions, right. And, 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 and looking to clean that up, what, what is, what have you found to be the most effective and consistent strategy for improving ankle dorsiflexion. Like, give me like, if you were to say, Hey guys, this is the ultimate recipe for cleaning up those ankles. What would it look like? A little bit of soft tissue work on the lower, lower leg, um, top third, middle third of the lower leg, um, calf gastroc soleus. Um, and then the half kneeling dorsiflexion drill with the dowel, uh, from, from FMS. That has consistently over time been a, a, a solid strategy. And then loading that dorsiflexion with like the half kneeling uh, pulses uh, into the uh, ankle and hip because ankle and hip talk to one another. And what I, that, that little uh, trifecta there has been um, really successful uh, over the years. So some version of that belongs in pretty much everybody's program. And, and I, I want to highlight uh, in talking about training like an adult and um, an and aging population, one of the things that we'll talk about is balance. Everybody, you know, 
everybody. Some people will say, you know, my balance is getting bad. You know, I'm getting older and my balance is is decreasing. Um, My first step is not to add a balance drill. My first step is to check your ankle mobility, because if you've lost ankle mobility and you're not getting the proprioceptive um, mechanoreceptor sort of information from uh, the foot and, and the ankle, well, that's a big reason you can lack or your quote balance starts to change. So um, that's, it's a, it's a key area. Be able to set a baseline for it. The FMS ankle clearing is um, brilliant. You know, we, we, uh, the, the non gray cook people in FMS spent about two years trying to figure out an ankle clearing. And we came back to gray and said, this is the best we've come up with. And he goes, well, just do this. And I'm like, you could have saved us two years. Uh, cause he had a brilliant idea right off the bat and, um, it's been validated in the research. Uh, there's at least three, if not five papers now, uh, looking at the ankle clearing. And so have a way to test and, and look at ankle mobility. Don't just assume that it's good or bad. Trust, but verify is, is the old, uh, the old saying, and, uh, you definitely want to be able to set that baseline and then soft tissue work and half kneeling ankle dorsiflexion with the dowel pulses with the uh, half kneeling pulses with the kettlebell and retest because if you don't retest how do you know it worked <laughs> make sure it make sure it actually changed 100 so so and and look we're not going to get in a whole corrective exercise talk because we've done that so many times but look in order to change movement you need a baseline of that movement and you can't just guess and say it looks better you know <laughs> you know lots of things look better after a couple beers right doesn't mean it's actually better um <laughs> That was a, that was a, that was a terrible joke, but it is what it is. Um, sort of like a borderline dad joke, but a little bit, a little bit darker. Um, but no, honestly, um, you have to, you have to get that baseline. Um, and, and also feedback within that, within that sort of process, because, um, look, if you're doing your, your half kneeling drills and you're doing your soft tissue work and you're, you're focusing on that posterior chain and you're just feeling a deep stretch in the calf Achilles area. Fantastic. Right. That's kind of what we're looking for. You know, and, but if you are feeling a pinch of pain on the interior ankle and that front of your ankle joint, sort of on the front side of the lateral medial malleolus, and you're feeling a catch, well, that could be some sort of joint impingement, joint abnormality, bone spur, and you can't stretch or mobilize your way through that. So, um, the reason why I'm bringing that up is someone who has had one ankle surgery to get rid of a bone spur and needs another one to clean up some other gunk that's floating around in there. Not to mention, I don't have any ligaments left. Um, it's kind of important and, uh, it's a lot more important than you would think because when I didn't have these crazy ankle issues, I was feeling great. And once I started getting these ankle issues, I was like, every single thing I do is impacted by my ankles. And I didn't realize it. I honestly didn't realize it until it got bad. And I was like, this is like, it literally prevented me from having a good quality of life. Not to mention the fact that it was interfering with my strength training and and the sport that I love so much jujitsu. So, um, but pay attention, right? And and when you do those assessments, ask the right questions. What do you feel when you're doing that ankle, you know, stretch or when you're doing that drill? If they're like, yeah, I feel, you know, it's a big, deep stretch in the calf and cool. But if they're like, man, I just feel like just something's gunking up when it feels like it's catching on the front of the ankle, that could be bone. You can't, you can't, can't fix that. Surgeon can, you can't. Um, maybe a good clinician 
with some really, really good hands-on clinical techniques could probably get things moving a little bit, but you're not going to get rid of a bone spur by doing ankle mobilization. So ankle mobility is huge. And, and I kind of joke about ski boots, but if you've ever worn ski boots and you've walked around the lodge, it, it is the most unathletic, unfluent thing you've ever done. You walk around looking like you got a load in your pants because you can't flex at the ankle. Not to mention, how is that going to impact movement? Do you ever see someone with zero ankle mobility squat? Yeah, they don't squat. They hinge. It's almost very similar to someone that has really, really long femurs and short tibia. It's going to present themselves the same way. But this is why we assess, because are you dealing with an issue based off of limb lengths or are you dealing with an issue based off of a joint restriction? And they may look identical. So for those of you that go, I just watched them exercise. Cool. Keep doing that. Let me know how it goes. Um, <laughs> but moving on, we, we know that hip mobility is, uh, is, is super important. And, um, you know, a lot of people sit all day and, uh, I'm not going to say sitting is the new smoking. Cause that is the dumbest thing on the planet, but there are some individuals that if they sit for long periods of time, it, it can potentially lead to some musculoskeletal stuff. I'm not saying everybody, because I think that is just a, a fear mongering scenario to say, if you sit all of a sudden, you're going to have back pain and you're going to look like this, you know, this unathletic, unfunctional individual. Some people sit all day and do just fine, but what do they do with their other time? So look, we know that most people, as they get a little bit older, they lose the ability to extend their hip, hip extension, right? Um, that's just one of the things. Why? Well, because when we sit, it's flexion bias. So if we spend the majority of our day in flexion, it's probably going to be a little bit harder to have good hip extension. Unless you can find a way to spend the day in hip extension and need more flexion, cool, but it's not going to happen because no one's, no one's going to stand up all day with their hips extended or in a half kneeling hip flexor stretch. But we know that having, uh, if you don't have the ability to extend your hip, um, you know, it could potentially, uh, lead to some inhibition of the posterior chain, you know, primarily your primary hip extensors, which are your glutes, um, and, and your secondary, uh, your hamstrings, et cetera. But, um, it's important because that those muscles also sort of are the backbone of how we move. And, and when I say backbone, our whole backside is, 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 is not only power production, but it's also postural. So, um, you know, people that sit all day, yeah, they, they probably should spend a little bit of time extending their hip now, whether or not they can or cannot extend their hip. That's a different conversation because my wife, she works all day in a computer, but she can, she can work out and do things just fine because she maintains her ability to move, but some people do not. So the question is, is what's your baseline? Can you extend your hip? Well, if you, if you can extend your hip, fantastic. Just do it in training. If you can't, then spend a little bit of time doing some hip mobility and then start to extend your hip. And the same thing goes with, you know, the various types of joint articulations, right? Um, internal and external hip rotation. Yes. It's uh, getting a little bit deeper into sort of assessments, but if those joints don't articulate the way that they should, and you're asking them to move through large ranges of motion, you're going to have issues. So the hips are super, super important, not to mention the fact that it's essentially the center of our body and it's going to impact ankle and it's going to impact shoulders. Definitely. So uh, to call back to the ankle conversation very quickly, if you don't have ankle dorsiflexion, 
and you actually can't stride um, and use the 30 degrees of ankle dorsiflexion that you need to, um, I believe that's walking, um, running is, <laughs> or maybe it's 20, 20 degrees for, uh, walking 30 degrees for running. And you only need about 10 or 15 for sprinting because of the difference in how you're contacting the ground and, and using the ankle. Well, if you don't have the ability to, to step over your ankle and use that dorsiflexion, you don't need a glute. So for all the people out there that are like, oh, I always have to do glute activation drills. Well, check your ankles. Yeah. Because if you lack the ability to stride, you don't need a glute. So your body just, you know, decides not to put a lot of attention towards that. Um, you talked a lot about hip extension and the anterior chain restrictions that that come up. You need to have some good quad stretches and some good uh, hip flexion. Notice I didn't say hip flexor. I said hip flexion stretches. Um, so there's only about 31 muscles that assist in hip flexion. So when everybody says it's your psoas, I'm like, I don't know. There's like 30 other um, suspects that we need to look at. And I'm not smart enough to go through all 31. Uh, so I just say anterior chain. So you need some good anterior chain strategies. You also need some good posterior chain strategies. You know, do you have access to your toe touch? If you don't have access to your toe touch, then we probably need to look at something like a straight leg raise and doing a strap stretch with ankle circles uh, that can really kind of um, bring back a lot of uh, uh, hip mobility, get that toe touch back. And, you know, it's a balance. We're a big X up, big X in back and a uh, slightly smaller X in front. And so what happens uh, top to bottom and side to side matters um, and front side to back side. So you know, have those hip strategies in place and, and uh, you know, something as simple as um, a, a toe touch and um, uh, checking in on that, on that hip extension, you know, covers a lot of bases. A lot of other things come along with that. Um, you know, I, the structure of my hips, I'm never going to have a hip internal rotation. It's just not going to happen. And so well, you're such a liar. Uh, just, you're just a quitter. I just, I just quit on completely tearing my anterior labrum on my right hip and probably something similar on my left. No one uh, likes to quit. Which I have. Yes. Uh, I have found that to be true in my life. Um, so yeah, def definitely you, you don't have to get too complicated, but if, if you're, you're trying your own working, I, I need to know why. And that usually means going back uh, and looking uh, deeper into that. And that's usually beyond, you, you need you need a physical therapist, you need a uh, manual therapist, a, a, a trainer that's skilled in looking at movement uh, to, to help with that. So, yep. Absolutely. So T-spine. Well, actually, one thing I want to add um, to the ankle conversation and the hip conversation quickly, um, ankles. Um I'm, I'm go. I'm going to go against something I completely said that you shouldn't do, and and I was talking about you shouldn't just watch someone and assume. But I will say this: um, if you've ever watched someone that has lost their ankle mobility or just lost their ability to stride and gait, oftentimes it will present itself with two different ways people walk. One is they they sidestep and they hip hike side to side. They actually never have flexion and extension going through the hips is more of like a, a side to side shuffle. And that's usually people that are 
much older and have had anatomical changes, right? Or they just they're they're just bound up because they've never used any of that. So you so, sort of see this side to side, or you can see people that when they walk, they just completely externally rotate and they just toe out. So if you toe out, well, you don't need to use your ankles. <laughs> you just keep on walking. But if you have a you know 25 degree toe out on both sides and then you're trying to sprint with that big, big toe out, I'm not saying you're going to chew up your knees, but I would say just be aware of how much load you put through that posture. That's all I would say. I don't want to say that it won't work. Cause look, if you watch Usain Bolt, he sprints with his toes out. So am I going to go try to fix Usain Bolt? No, I'm not just the fastest man on the earth and perhaps maybe ever. I'm not going to try to fix that, but I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you're not Usain Bolt. <laughs> so, um, if you can clean up the ankles, absolutely do so. And then with the hips, the one thing I will say is when it comes to choosing what exercises um, that you should use to extend the hip, doing two sets of glute bridges with a mini band is probably not going to provide the load and stimulus to make a viable change in your movement. You're going to have to probably add a little bit more horsepower because do you want to do corrective exercises that were, you know, two by 10 miniband walks and blah, 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 or look, you're going to need load. So single leg deadlifts, you know, even single leg bridges, you're going to have to make sure that you're doing it with intent, um, split squats, et cetera. So make sure that the load is providing your system with enough input that it's going to make a viable change. And now we can go on to T-spine. <laughs> um, Brett, you know way more about functional anatomy about the T-spine than I do. So why 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 does it matter? Why why should we be uh, worried about the T-spine, the rib cage, um the diaphragm, the upper extremities? So there was a um a newsletter uh quite a while ago a Feldenkrais practitioner and and he's uh referred to the fact that we probably shouldn't call the rib cage the rib cage. A more accurate description would be a rib spring. And that gives you a better idea of how much motion uh, and movement should be possible. So if we look at it, we have two essential movements at the ribs and the rib cage, and that is the pump handle and bucket handle um, actions. Um, if you've ever taken a CPR class, you know that you can compress the chest about two, two and a half inches. Um, and that's before you start snapping ribs. So there's a there's a lot of motion that's available uh, as you compress that sternum down. Uh, then we have the bucket handle, and that is that expansion of the ribs out. And I wish I wish we were recording this and using the video because I'm doing some really, really cool hand motions because I can't talk about this stuff and not not use my hands. Um, but you have this bucket handle motion where the ribs expand and flare. This all ties in with breathing. Uh, our respiratory muscles, primary of those, the diaphragm. Diaphragm is one of the coolest muscles in the body. Um, split into right and left hemidiaphragms, innervated by right and left branches of the phrenic nerve. Um, attaches on, um, lower six ribs almost onto the t onto the t spine, but not quite. Goes down and attaches in the lumbar. Um, it's a part of breathing, stability, uh, posture, motor control. It's it's awesome. But the, the when the diaphragm contracts and pulls uh, the rib cage, um, uh, pulls makes space for air to come in. 
our ribs and our, our rib cage needs to have that functionality. And we're able to have all of this functionality because uh, the bones, it's not a bone to bone connection up front in the sternum, it's bone to cartilage to bone. Uh, and so those cartilaginous joints uh, up front give us a lot of that pump handle action and part of the bucket handle action. Action When you go around to the back, you actually have two joint articulations where the ribs meet the T-spine, and that's your um, costovertebral and, and costotransverse uh, uh, joints where the, where the ribs attach. So all of this fancy anatomical uh, information to say there's a lot of motion available at the T-spine. There's 12 thoracic levels. And as we accumulate the rotation possible through those 12 uh, levels, we end up with uh, upwards of 50 to 55 degrees of uh, thoracic rotation uh, available in each direction. Um, the the T-spine is set in a kyphosis. Um, you, uh, you've all seen people have, have uh, um, increased kyphosis, but the T-spine sits in a kyphosis. Uh, um, um, uh, flex position anyway, um, but we still have some extension that's possible there. And in my experience, if you get the rotation, the extension comes along with it. And so being good at a rib grab and using breath assisted uh, motion there, don't bring muscle to it, let your breath do the work. Uh, and then a good bretzel, which can tie into that hip extension and anterior chain stretching conversation because if you have that tight anterior chain, um, in Chinese medicine, the shoulders and the hips are called the four knots, K-N-O-T-S. And so when I go for my right rotation, I challenge that against my left anterior chain and hip extension. So if I have a good rib grab, which is T-spine rotation, not challenged by the lower body, um, and then I get in the bretzel position, I lose half of my T-spine rotation. Yeah, your hips are having a major league impact on uh, what's happening in your T-spine and your shoulders. Um, now, I don't do, I'm, I'm an athletic trainer, but I haven't had to rehab a post-surgical shoulder in a long time. So understand where this comment is coming from. I haven't had to stretch a shoulder. And that's what people think. My shoulders are tight, so I should stretch my shoulder. Um I guarantee if you clean up some breathing and you clean up some T-spine and you learn how to use your scapula a little bit better, that stiff shoulder is going to go away. Um, so, you know, being good at, and having some good T-spine strategies, Greg Rose has a great video on, um, uh, go to YouTube and search Greg Rose uh, seated T-spine. And you'll pull up a great video from Greg on using breathing and some side bending, turning and, and, and breathing um, in a seated position. That can be a great way to, to open up the T-spine as well. So lots lots to think about there. But if, if you allow your T-spine to get stiff, you're going to change your shoulders. Uh, and actually, uh, T-spine rotation and single leg stance play together, which brings us back into the ankle conversation because you can have an ankle an ankle issue that actually ends up as a shoulder presents as a shoulder issue because it changed your T-spine rotation. So it's kind of like everything's connected. And um, yeah, I'm going to shut up now. You just said a lot of big words. Not going to lie. Not a lot of bad words, I... but a lot of big words. What kind of LaCroix are you drinking right now, Brett? What flavor we got? Just plain. plain. Is there plain. even a plain? Just, plain. just seltzer water? Plain. Plain, plain, I got plain Jane sparkling water. 
I got coffee because uh, I like to challenge my body. I just to see, I need to see how much caffeine I can uh, intake in one <laughs> 12 hour session without having a heart attack. No, um, I drink too much coffee. A um, couple things, hundred um, percent with uh, the lower extremity and T-spine rotation. Um, look, if you don't think that hip position is going to impact your T-spine, all I want you to do is stand up nice and straight. Okay. Stand up nice and straight. I want you to point your left toe inward. So internally rotate your, uh, your left hip. Turn your T-spine to the right, and then I want you to externally rotate your left hip and turn your T-spine to the right and see what feels different. That's all I want you to do. And you will answer the question, is it connected or not? Um, so it's important to understand that it does play a role, and we aren't just a bag of parts that can just we can just take a part in and a part out, and it'll fix stuff. It's a, it's a system. Um, but don't hear what Brett's not saying about the shoulder. He's not saying that you should not do shoulder true glenohumeral mobility and stretching and mobility work. He's not saying that. He's saying if you do the breathing, maybe some tissue work, maybe understanding how the rib cage impacts your own movement, the scapula, if you do all those things in that order, oftentimes the glenohumeral joint will clean up. But this is why we, again, we assess because you just can't expect that if you do all these things, it'll magically get fixed. It may, it may not, but that is why we test and retest because you need to know. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, but that, that recipe works. It works time and time again. Um, but the difference is, is you need to make sure that you know what exercises are having a positive effect on movement. And we've talked about this time and time again, but I got to hit it. Give someone a drill, recheck. Give someone a drill, recheck. You give them five drills, you don't know which one made an impact. If I gave you five pills to fix whatever issue you have, maybe you only needed two of those, but I just gave you five. So that's a big part of it. But, um, you know, the, the, the T-spine is tough because um, as we get older and as uh, we get these anatomical changes, right, specifically one of the things we see in, in, um, in older individuals is, uh, an excessive kyphotic T-spine. Oftentimes they call it doll wager's hump. It doesn't make a difference what it's called, but if we do get this overly kyphotic T-spine paired with a forward head posture, um, it's going to be, well, actually I'm going to be honest. You're not going to be able to change that. You're not going to be able to change that. You meet someone in their fifties or even forties, or to be honest, even in their thirties, and they have a really kyphotic t-spine forward head posture you're probably not going to change that that much but here's the cool thing is maybe you can slow the process down of losing the mobility and 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 you know not allowing them to have good t-spine uh, movement or optimizing what they currently have so when there are anatomical changes you're not going to change the positioning of the joints right you're just not going to a surgeon can but you cannot but the thing that we have to realize is that let's try to optimize each individual based off of what they what we have to work with. And that's really what it's all about is optimizing movement. And, um, you know, when we get older, man, we, we lose, it, it is what it is. We lose hip extension. We lose shoulder flexion, right? We lose the overhead position. We lose our, 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 our ability to extend our T-spine and rotate our T-spine. Um, if you don't think that that's the case, you know, 
sit in your car and try to reach for something in the back seat in both directions and see how that goes. Um, that's T-spine rotation in its finest, but, um, these are the big rocks guys. And, um, doing one mobility session a week is not going to cut it. This needs to be like, it needs to be part of your week. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where you need to be consistent if you want to make consistent changes. And then look, if we can, if we can improve all of these mobility restrictions, the next step is just intelligent strength and conditioning. And it doesn't need to be fancy. You don't need to do anything that is going to, you know, revolutionize the training world. It's just, you know, figure out the patterns and within those patterns, try to figure out what your best option is to make a viable change. You know, we all know what the t-shirt is, squat, hinge, push, pull, carry. We, we've seen the t-shirt, but we need to get a little bit more granular, right? So if we're going to squat, what does that mean? Goblet squat, body weight squat, single leg squat, back squat, front squat, zercher squat. I don't care. I really don't care. Squat, do one of those, <laughs> maybe two. And it's the same thing with all the other patterns. Hinge, what does that mean? Trap bar, sumo, narrow stance sumo, conventional, kettlebell swing. I don't care. Whatever's best for the individual. And I want you to go through that entire list where you see the t-shirt of all the essential movement patterns. And then you need to decide as a coach based off of the input that you have and the goals of your clientele, what is the best option under that umbrella of eight to 10 movements? Work hard, recover, don't be an idiot, rinse and repeat. Agreed. Um, pursue strength over time. And I think that's a that, that's part of that intelligent training sort of formula that, that gets lost. Uh, we get a little enamored of immediate results. We get uh, a little enamored of maybe testing a one RM or you know something of the, of that nature. Um, it's unnecessary. And what I've experienced and and you know the iron cardio, you called me an iron cardio something um, earlier, but uh, bum. To, it was an to, iron cardio bum. Our, on your cardio <laughs> bum. Um, I resemble that king. remark. Can. It was a king, I think I said. You are the king of iron cardio. But that just consistent practice over time, you know, I'm I'm to the point now where, you know, starting my training after treatment, it was the 24 kilo was a, a lot. Uh, now it's consistent training with 36 and 40 kilo and and really feeling, you know, like my, my strength is is at a really good place, but that happened over two and a half plus years of just consistent training. So don't, uh, don't chase the one RMs. If you want to go compete in something and you want to take on a competition, cool. There's a way to do that. But, you know, I, I want to be independent living and still training at my seventies, eighties. I don't know that I'm going to get much beyond that, but uh, you know, seventies, eighties and stuff like that. Um, just family history. Um, but I hear, I hear last you. thing I'll, <laughs> last thing I'll say on training like an adult is, um, two things. <laughs> so, uh, on my, on my tombstone, it's going to say, and one more thing. So two things, uh, for every 20 year old who's complaining about training and, and having an achy or an owie or having trouble with uh, something, there's a 30 year old that's laughing at them. When a 30-year-old complains, there's a 40-year-old laughing at them. When a 40-year-old complains, there's a 50-year-old laughing at them. For a 50-year-old, which I am, uh, there's a 60-year-old laughing at me when I complain about something with my training. 
So the perspective and uh, the perspective will change uh, as as you move forward. Uh, the achies, the owies, the things that you accept as part of training are not things that you need to accept as part of training. Um, I have been in the position of not feeling good, and I can tell you that feeling good feels good, and that is what I pursue in my training. Uh, the last thing would be to reiterate, play the long game. Pursue strength over time. Maintain your movement quality. Be smart. And you will have success over the years. Uh, will your training change over the years? Absolutely. You'll need a little bit more recovery. You'll need uh, to, to look at uh, hormonal profile uh, as you age and, and uh, potentially you know, have to do something uh, related to that. Um, I, I think my testosterone is finally over 400 for the first time in a long time. Um, I've been kind of a, a lower T guy for a, a long time. But I'm back to pressing the 40 for, you know, 30 sets in an iron cardio session, um, doing double 36 work. Um, so strength, intelligent strength training and playing the long game will get you a long way. So a lot of training like an adult, it's the same thing as your finances. Um, you got to be putting more in the bank than you're taking out. Absolutely. And, um, you know, a couple things before we uh, sort of end this, and this is going to be me on my soapbox for a little bit. So if you don't want to listen to me, uh, just stop the podcast right now. Um, look, Brett and I have both been diagnosed with cancer. We beat cancer. We've been through some shit. Um, training is a privilege. Like if you can get up and you have the option to exercise daily, you're lucky. And, and look, you're probably thinking, oh, Mike, you own a gym. This is what you guys do. Look, I have been post-surgery, post-chemotherapy, where I couldn't drag my ass off the floor. And I know you have too, Brett. Brett lost, what, 40, 50 pounds? Yeah, over 40 pounds. Yeah. Guys, like, I understand people don't want to get up and train sometimes. But, like, here's the scoop, man. Like, I, I can't say this enough. Stop. Stop treating training like a fucking chore. You got one body. You got one body, man. And the body can do some really cool stuff, like some really cool stuff. And it will take you to places on this earth that you may never be able to see unless you have an able body. And 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 look, guys, it is literally a privilege to move. And 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 I don't know. I just I hope people understand this because it's like people always wait until something bad happens or until it's too late. Like training, like being able to move your body through space and pick up your kids and hike and swing a kettlebell and and do jujitsu or just I don't know whatever it is. It's having the ability to move and do what you want is is empowering, but it's also going to allow you to live a fruitful life. Look, if you're fortunate to live to seventy years old, and I, I think the average life expectancy for for men and women is I think late seventies, early eighties. I don't know what it is. It's right around there. But look, if you get to live to seventy or eighty years old, first of all you're damn lucky because that's, that's awesome. Right. Um, some people never make it that far. If you're going to be on this earth for 70 years old, would you rather thrive at 70 or would you rather be using a walker going to Walmart and hopping in a scooter because you can't get around because you haven't taken care of yourself. And look, that's the reality for some people. I'm not judging, but that's the reality for some people. I, one of my favorite clients, He's 68 years old. He's back doing weighted pull-ups with 35 pounds. 
I've been training this guy for a very, very long time, but this guy's putting the work in. He's thriving in his late sixties. He's going out there doing shit. He didn't do 10 years ago because he's putting the work in and this guy works, but he's putting the work in. He's thriving. And look, is he sore? Is he tired? Is he achy? Yes, of course he is. But look, most people, when they're in their 60s and 70s, they're sore, tired, and achy anyways. So you might as well be sore, tired, achy, and really strong. Because <laughs> you're going to be, honestly, you're you're going to have, you're going to be more durable. You're going to survive that fall. You're going to be able to help someone move a couch. Like those are the things that are going to allow you to thrive when you're older and not just exist. I want to thrive when I'm in my, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, if I make it that long, I, gosh, I really hope I do, but I it's movement is a gift. Movement is a gift. And, and don't wait until you have a bad accident or bad news to make that change. Like it's a beautiful thing to be able to move, to be able to lift things, to be able to explore places that your body will take you. It's pretty damn cool. And don't let a frigging cancer diagnosis or a heart attack be the main reason why you start taking care of yourself. Now, look, both of us, you consider us healthy guys. We both got diagnosed with cancer. We, we, you know, could we have prevented it? Probably not because, you know, genetics are what they are. Right. But look, man, I, I you know, I, I can't say this enough. Like if you have the ability to take care of yourself and thrive as you get older, just do that. Trust me, do that. I've seen so many people over these last 20 years just just fade fade into a blob that sits and doesn't move ever and it's for various reasons and i'm not judging but it happens so look if you do the things we tell you to do i'm not saying it's going to fix everything in your life but it's going to give you a better opportunity to thrive as you get older and i'm just going to leave it at that any words of wisdom jones agreed Nope. Awesome. Movement is a privilege. I love it. So anyways, thank you so much for listening today. I'm all fired up right now, getting ready for my next client. But um, <laughs> look, movement is a privilege. And I want you to understand that. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor. Give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. Or if if this podcast hit home for you, listen and share. Because look, you know how much money we make off this podcast? Millions. And we're going to share it with you. No, I'm just kidding. Guys, we do this because we care and we love hanging out with one another and we want to share. So um way that you can help us out is just getting this message out there. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.